Hi, my name is Tom. Welcome to the Scottish Parliament podcast and the first in our series of podcasts looking at key issues that researchers from the Scottish Parliament Information Centre, or SPICE, believe that MSPs might face in the new parliamentary session. SPICE's full briefing can be read on our website and you'll find a link in our notes on this podcast. However, we're going to share some highlights on the podcast over the coming weeks. Over the past 18 months, the COVID-19 pandemic has transformed the world in which we live. As a new session of Parliament begins, there is a great interest in how Scotland will continue to manage the pandemic and what impact that will have on our, all of our lives. Today, we're welcoming two researchers from SPICE, Lizzie Burgess and Alison O'Connor, to discuss this issue. Lizzie works in a team of health and social care researchers in SPICE and has advised the COVID-19 Committee and the Health and Sport Committee in the previous session of Parliament. Alison is a member of the Financial Scrutiny Unit in SPICE and has been researching the impact of the pandemic on Scotland's economy. Hi Lizzie and Alison, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Lizzie, looking at this from a health perspective, what kind of harm has the pandemic done to the health of the people of Scotland? Well, when thinking about the health harms of COVID-19, it's useful to think about the direct health harms caused by the virus itself. This includes the illnesses, deaths and cases of long COVID. Since the start of the pandemic, over 10,000 deaths have occurred from COVID-19. But it's also very important that we consider the wider effects of the pandemic on people's health. These are the things that are not directly connected with having had COVID-19, and they're known as indirect health harms. They can be a consequence of the restrictions put in place to reduce the spread of COVID. Indirect health harms can result from things like delays in diagnosis and increased waiting times for treatment and planned operations. The indirect health harms also include the impact COVID-19 has had on many people's mental health. This is an issue also discussed in our briefing. A recent study found that almost a quarter of people had depressive symptoms at a level that could need treatment, and 13% of respondents to the survey reported having suicidal thoughts in the previous week. What we also know is that the harms from COVID-19 have not been spread evenly across society. For example, people living in the most deprived areas were much more likely to be admitted to hospital with serious illness from COVID-19, and they were over two times more likely to die with COVID-19 than those living in the least deprived areas. Thanks, Lizzie. Um, are you able to tell us any more about long COVID? I've seen a lot of reports about this particular condition um, or series of symptoms in the media. What kind of symptoms are people actually tending to report? Well, long COVID is a syndrome that's associated with COVID-19 infection. It can persist for 12 weeks or more. And the syndrome is a collection of symptoms. The signs and symptoms for long COVID are very variable and wide ranging. Lots of people report breathlessness, chest pain, fever, headache, depression and anxiety. But these are just a few of the symptoms. It's a very long list. The Office for National Statistics has estimated that 79,000 people living in Scotland report symptoms of long COVID. They also found that long COVID was, was reported more by people aged between 35 and 69, women and those living in the most deprived areas. What is unknown, though, is whether people in those groups are more likely to have caught COVID in the first place or if they are actually more likely to develop long COVID. There's still quite a lot we don't know about this. Thanks, Lizzie. Is there any sort of prediction or information that you can see from NHS Scotland in how they might 
tackle this ongoing health problem? Yeah, at the moment, people in Scotland uh, are generally managed through their GP practice, but the treatment options are limited. However, the Scottish government has partnered with an organisation called Chest, Heart and Stroke Scotland to develop a long COVID support service, and services might develop further in the future. As I said before, there's a lot we still don't know about long COVID, but a new research study is being undertaken by the University of Glasgow, Public Health Scotland and the NHS, which should hopefully tell us more about this condition. Thanks, Lizzie. What kind of non-COVID health harms are we seeing in Scotland from the pandemic? I, I feel like I see regularly media coverage from cancer charities highlighting the number of people who are getting diagnosed and how sharply that had fallen last year. Has that started to pick up at all or is there anything else you can tell us on this? We know that the restrictions that were put in place to to help stop the spread of COVID-19 has had a big impact right across the health service. Many people were reluctant to seek treatment and the waiting lists for diagnostic tests and treatments have increased. In March 2020, many routine cancer screening programmes and appointments were paused to lower the risk of people catching COVID and it also helped allow NHS staff and resources to be redeployed. It's thought that in 2020 there may have been around 7,000 fewer cancer diagnoses and given the importance of detecting cancer early this is likely to have had a detrimental impact on the future cancer survival for people. This is one area that could be of interest to the new MSPs. What kind of other impacts do you think that Covid might have on people's health? Well, we do know that many more people are waiting for NHS treatment and the length of time people are waiting for treatment has also increased significantly. Demand for services has continued and in some cases it's increased alongside a significant drop in activity. Audit Scotland has said that the pandemic led to a substantial backlog of patients waiting to be seen and the NHS boards are prioritising those in most urgent need. They also reflected that NHS boards have found meeting the national waiting time targets very challenging, but we know this um, was already a challenge before the pandemic. At the end of 2020, more than 15,000 people had been waiting longer than a year for inpatient hospital treatment. Alongside these big backlogs in hospital care, there's also the worrying issue of unknown demand. This will only become a when people start coming forward for help now that the restrictions have been lifted. Thanks Lizzie, that's really interesting. Alice, moving to the economy, we're aware again from significant media coverage and from anecdotal evidence that we'll all have heard of the impact that the pandemic has had on the economy. Is there an easy way or a simple way to summarise this? I'll do my best to summarise, but no words will likely do justice to the harsh economic realities experienced by some over the last 15 months or so. COVID has had an unprecedented impact on our economy and at its peak the Scottish economy took a near 25% hit in economic activity and over 736,000 workers were furloughed. So although the economic figures have recovered somewhat now as opposed to the near 25% reduction in GDP in spring 2020, currently GDP is around 7% below pre-pandemic levels in February 2020. Although we need to bear in mind not all parts of the economy have been impacted equally. In particular, accommodation and food services, which is essentially tourism and hospitality, is currently around 70% below its pre-pandemic GDP levels. And the next worst impacted sector is arts, culture and recreation, which is about 35% below its pre-pandemic GDP levels. Whereas if we look at sectors like construction and manufacturing, they are roughly back to their pre-pandemic levels of output. So it's really a mixed bag across the economy. And we hope over the coming months we'll see some of the these more negative sector impacts reversed as we unlock the economy. Nevertheless, the scarring effects of the pandemic 
will impact the economy for years to come. For example, we know a large number of businesses now have much higher levels of debt than previously. This has implications for business survival rates, and this in turn impacts investment levels and innovation and productivity in the economy. We know youth unemployment is likely to be a big issue, which will have long-lasting economic and social consequences. We know there has been negative impacts on human capital from disrupted education. And also the pandemic has led to the acceleration of the digital economy. This has seen change consumer behaviour around retail, and we've seen greatly changed views on how and where we work for some parts of our workforce. And this has implications for our towns and city centres. It's also worth considering, even prior to COVID, the Scottish economy over the last decade has been sluggish in terms of growth. This has been driven by structural issues, such as slower population growth and lower productivity rates. And another layer to add on top of all this is the aftermath of Brexit. This is less uncertainty around trade, regulations, and what will plug what will do previously European funding. So yes, to summarise, the pandemic has had an unparalleled impact on the Scottish economy. I've touched on an array of issues here, and I'm still only skimming the surface of the challenges in terms of the economic issues that policymakers are currently grappling with. Thanks, Alison. Um, one of the one of the other things that we hear quite regularly is that governments. Uh, not just within Scotland, but around the world, are, are spending a lot of money in trying to mitigate against the impacts of the pandemic and um, support their populations. Is there any any kind of figure that we can put on how much the Scottish government has spent on on these um, these efforts? Yes, um, since spring 2020, the Scottish government have made available near three and a half billion pounds in business support funding to mitigate the impact of the virus. The majority of this funding has been via local authority supported schemes linked to business rates. The most recent being the Strategic Framework Business Fund, which ended in its current form in April 2021. Between November 2020 and April 2021, this scheme distributed over £1.15 billion worth of funding. There's also been a range of smaller pots of money targeted at specific sectors. For example, there was a £26 million wedding sector fund and an £8 million coach operator fund, just to name a few. And also from the UK government, relevant in Scotland, we've had the furlough scheme, the self-employment income support scheme and a range of low schemes. Thus, the scale of business support has never been witnessed before. And yet we know it will unlikely be enough to ensure all businesses survive and we keep all the current, the pre-pandemic level of employment and jobs in the Scottish economy. Mitigation spending by the Scottish government hasn't just been on business support. For example, we know over the last financial year, 2020 to 2021, the Scottish government spent around £8.6 billion across all portfolios on COVID spending. A large proportion of this went on health spending, but it was also in areas, for example, operators of public transport got significant support to compensate for the drop in income they suffered. We know there was spending around discretionary housing payments, Scottish welfare funds, and there was elements like the self-isolation grants. All of these helped to mitigate the impact of COVID. Thanks, Alison. Lizzie, talk now seems to be moving towards recovery and a rolling programme of easing restrictions. How is the vaccination programme helping with this? Well, um, in Scotland, so far, over three million people have received the first dose of their COVID-19 vaccination and over one and a half million have received both doses. 
And really, this is quite remarkable, given that under normal circumstances, it can take around 10 years to develop a vaccine. But what we do also know is that there is a global inequality in the availability of vaccines. And while this is the case, Scotland and the rest of the UK will be at risk from new variants of the virus. Recently, there's been much coverage of a new variant of COVID-19. This is sometimes called the Indian variant, which is thought to be much more transmissible than earlier types of the virus. The Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, the JCVI, has advised that every effort should be made to promote vaccine uptake by people in the main priority groups who are not yet vaccinated. In areas where this new variant is circulating, the second dose of the vaccine should be brought forward from 12 to 18 weeks. The vaccine is playing a very important role in the easing of restrictions at the moment. Thanks, Lizzie. Uh, Alison, what kind of plans are the Scottish Government making for an economic recovery? There are still many unknowns around the exact economic recovery strategy Scotland will pursue. Although we have some hints of the likely trajectory, the new government have committed to publishing a new 10-year strategy for economic transformation in the first six months of this parliament. In terms of what we'll see in this strategy, it's likely to reflect some of the recommendations of the Advisory Group on Economic Recovery Report published last summer. The focus of this was not just on economic growth, but making it more inclusive and fair and there was a weak push on the well-being economy. Although the then government's initial response to this report was classed as vague and lacking urgency by some commentators, so they will be hoping to see more detail in any forthcoming strategy. The Scottish government commitment to net zero by 2045 means we're likely seeing green economy interventions at the heart of any recovery strategy, with initiatives such as green job funds and green jobs academies. We'd likely see more emphasis on fair work policies. So this involves a focus on quality jobs, fair wages, and flexible and family-friendly working practices. Internationalisation, which is attracting inward investment to Scotland and increasing Scottish exports, has been a prominent theme in previous economic strategies, and we'd expect that this will continue. The Scottish National Investment Bank was launched last year, and we expect to see this more prominently across interventions as it establishes itself in the Scottish ecosystem over the coming years. Also, we know there's a five-year recovery plan and investment plan for tourism currently being developed, and we'll hope to hear more about that in the coming months as well. The SNP's election manifesto made a number of commitments for the first 100 days of government, focusing on support for small businesses, especially those in the tourism and hospitality sectors. So there's lots of elements floating around regarding the economic recovery strategy for Scotland, but we're yet to see a lot of the detail. Thanks, Alison. And it's interesting that you touched on the prospect of a green recovery. I think that's a topic that we'd hope to look at in more detail in a future podcast. As we've seen, the lifting of restrictions might not always go quite as planned. What restrictions are currently in place? Lizzie, I'll come to you first on this. Well, at the moment, most of mainland Scotland is currently at protection level two. So this means that people can now meet indoors and cafes, pubs and restaurants are all open. But increased restrictions are still in place in some local authority areas due to higher numbers of COVID cases. This is reviewed by the Scottish Government on a regular basis. Until COVID-19 is under control internationally, there is always the risk of new outbreaks and new variants, and this continues. And with that, there always remains the possibility that restrictions might need to be reintroduced to control the virus. Alison, is the Scottish Government in a position where it could release more funding if restrictions needed to be reintroduced at some point? In short, yes, Tom, but currently there are a lot of unknowns and caveats that we need to bear in mind around this. 
Some points to consider. We know this year's budget for 2021-22 has built in headroom for COVID funding as part of the ongoing pandemic response. The budget, which was published in January 2021, had £1.8 billion across all portfolios for COVID funding. We need to bear in mind that a proportion of the total Scottish government budget is determined via block grant funding from Treasury. Thus, any changes in UK government spending will have implications for the Scottish budget. So this creates some uncertainty around the final budget quantum in Scotland. And as I mentioned previously, the most recent mechanism for distributing business support funding in Scotland, the Strategic Framework Business Fund, ended in April. Thus, we are still awaiting detail on the eligibility and scope of any future business support and how this will be distributed. This could be maybe an updated version of the Strategic Framework Business Fund or maybe something totally new since we're now in a new stage of unlocking the economy. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for that, Alison and Lizzie. That's been really, really interesting. It sounds like uh, our MSPs are going to have a lot to think about over the coming session just on this topic. Don't forget, you can um, read more about this topic in the SPICE team's key issues for session six briefing uh, and specifically the section on COVID-19, the road to recovery. Thank you for listening.